everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in the bubble with Goran Dragic of the Miami Heat. Goran, welcome in. Thank you, Woj. It's nice to be here. So. It's, it's good to be with you. We were walking over. Uh, there's only so many places you can meet and, and, and do stuff like this here for guys like me. So you, you were nice enough to come over. And, and I was telling you about, I think, my record for the longest podcast <laughs> is, is one of your Miami Heat brethren – Eric Spolstra, yeah, which you said, yeah, it's kind of normal. You know, our meetings are pretty long, <laughs> but uh, you know, I like that about Spo. He's really detailed and he prepared, you know, really well for the games, and that's why you know we have a, a good season. What is it like the Miami Heat in the bubble compared to other teams in here? Like, there's some teams it's pretty loose around here. Guys are going out. Guys are enjoying a beer or two. Is the tight heat culture discipline, like, does it translate into here and how you guys operate? Yeah, I would say yes. Um, you know, our organization, coaching staff, uh, we're really close. And um, basically, even now that we're in the bubble, every week we have a, a body fat. And, you know, we're wearing a heat gear, so... Really, the Miami Heat logo really means something to us. And, um, you know, that's how we conduct ourselves here in the bubble. And I think so this this can be one of those things that to have advantage because, uh, you know, we're here to win. We're here to do our jobs and, you know, not to think about other stuff. So, Do you guys mingle less with your competitors in the bubble than you think other teams do? Uh, yeah. Definitely, yes. You know, our leader, Jimmy Butler, he's uh, in his room most of the time. And uh, usually, you know, we hang out, play some cards or, um, you know, watch some movies. And I always ask him, Jimmy, why are you always in your room? I said, I don't want to see nobody. I'm here to win. And, uh, you know, that's how it is. And I like that because uh, he's here to work. Same thing with Udanis Haslam. You know, he's our... Mr. 305 and our leader and yeah. it's something that uh, you know it, it's great for the team because uh, we always hang out we always uh, have a good chemistry and I think so that's that's carries on the court you know the guys who play in Miami Goran always say it is not for everybody like you said body fat testing once a week yeah. which must take some getting used to being judged like that like when you first start, do you get worried about it? Do you worry like if it goes up, what's the reaction going to be? Like, does it wear on you mentally initially? Yeah, it does. Uh, especially if you're new. Especially when I came five years ago to the Heat, it was something new about that. And um, you know, um, they challenge you, and I really like that. And um, you know, of course, every week if you have problems with body fat, it makes you nervous. A lot of players was nervous but in the end of the day um, we are all professionals we need to be in top shape as possible so um, you know they they give us everything we got nutritionists how to eat properly and how to be in the best shape so um, yeah it's unique I imagine too listen every organization is different everybody throws that word culture around it's usually for most teams it sort of changes coach to coach it's like New guy comes in, they call it something new. There's a few places. Uh, you know, San Antonio had it for a very long time because of 
they had Tim and uh, Tony and Manu and, of course, Pop in place and a core of players. You can go through a couple teams in the league who've had it since, you know, success comes and goes. But Miami is one where because there's such a continuous program with Pat Riley at the top, with Spo now, who I think is the second most tenured coach yeah. in the NBA, like it's a real thing that's different. And I mean, you play two other places, yeah. but very different places. W- yeah. Very different places, yeah. Totally opposite of Miami, I would say. And, uh, yeah, that's something that gives you stability. You know, it, a lot of those um, coaches, front office players, they stay in Miami for a long time. And you can see, you know, Udonis Haslam, 17 years in the league, before that D-Wade. Um, and those guys, uh, you know, those guys know what it takes to win. And... Um, I would say because of that, because they don't switch, they don't switch so many guys in their organization, and even they give a, a players a chance to win and a chance to be there. It's kind of a create a stability for the club. Um, but don't get me wrong, you know, if they're gonna see that they can bring somebody to the team that's gonna help to win a championship, they're gonna do it right away, and that's that's normal. So for me. For me, it changed a lot when I came to the Miami Heat and, you know, kind of uh, find out that it's really tight club who is run with, um, you know, those people, like you said, Spo is there. He's been 10 years, even more. He was a video coordinator mm-hmm. guy, and then after that, assistant coach, head coach. So, you know, that's, that's yeah, huge. When I first started covering the league back when the advanced scouts, we were all sitting on Prush Row, the advanced scouts, which was a way a lot of future head coaches came in the league, but you'd go video room to advance scout. And I used to sit on a nightly basis. Spo would be next to me. Frank Vogel was an advanced scout. Lawrence Frank was an advanced scout. And those guys worked their way up. You don't see it as much now, but with yeah. their generation, they did. And you said, like, you know, listen, like anywhere else, they will always try to get better. And it's like they will upgrade. There's been stability. But I remember back to the night of free agency starting and – was reporting on Jimmy Butler's sign-and-trade to go to Miami. And a couple people tried to tell me, um, I didn't report it, but there were people trying to tell me, I think Goran's in the deal going somewhere else. Yeah. And, and I think I called, one of the people I called was your agent, Bill Duffy, and he said he, he's not in this trade, but sort of got out there a little bit. Did you start hearing that that night and wondering? You know what? I was I was back home in Slovenia in Europe, so you know six six and six nine hours. This difference. was late at night. Too. Yeah, I remember this and was I was sleeping. Here. Okay, good. And uh, yeah, in the morning I woke up and uh, suddenly, you know, I looked at my phone and it was like a bunch of text messages from my friends. Hey, you got traded. <laughs> you going to Dallas with Luca? And uh, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And of course, I called Bill Duffy and he told me, no, no, you're staying in Miami. And but you know. I completely get it. It's it's part of the business. Um, I've been a lot of in in a lot of rumors, mm-hmm. and I always said to myself, control what you can control. And this, what I can control is to work hard, to be professional, and to play well. And at the end of the day, is that's going to be enough? If I'm going to be able to stay, I'm going to be more than happy. If not, the the life goes on. So. The first time you were traded. You were on a plane, right? No wireless. You landed it was with the Suns, and yeah, was we, it Toronto? Yeah, we. Uh, if I if I remember, our flight was around noon, and 
the plane stayed in, until I think so. We took off uh, 12:30, and the deadline was over at one. Mm -hmm. So we were flying to Toronto. Um, I took a long nap on that plane, and uh, when we landed, I woke up and I remember st because Steve Nash was sitting next to me, and Steve is like, "Hey, G, uh, I'm sorry, man. You're gonna be okay. Just keep your head up." And at, at first, I didn't know what, what was going on, and then. You know, they told me I got traded. And for me, that was a huge shock. You know, first time in my career, I thought I had a place in Phoenix. And uh, it was my first NBA team. They gave me a chance. And it, it was tough. Um, but on the end of the, you know, after that, um, I went to hotel, sleep that night and get right back on the plane and flew to Houston, do a medical um test and the next day I was already playing the game uh, for Houston Rockets. Do you, when you think back to your time in Houston, Kevin McHale was the coach and you were competing with Kyle Lowry, you were yeah. two young point guards. It, when you see the Kyle Lowry now that you see versus that young guy, how dramatically different is it? He's, I mean, he's a leader now. I mean, even, even at that time for our team, he was a leader. You know, he... Kevin Martin, Luis Cola, those are the, the guys. But, you know, you can see how Kyle grow as a person, as a player. He's a winner. Um, you know, he can he cannot score 20 or 30 points a game. He can still impact the game with his settings, with his defense. He's a smart player. And, uh, um, you know, he really helped me with my career, too, when I was in Houston. That year, basically, at the beginning of the year, he was a starting point guard. Then we have Johnny Flynn as a backup. I was a third, and Jeremy Lin and East Smith was right. all in the training mm -hmm. camp. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of, you know, fighting for that third or fourth spot. And on the end, um, you know, I, I stay with it. Um, I was a backup point guard for a while, and then unfortunately Kyle got him. Um, hurt i think so he got mm. some affections mm. and that's how i became the start, starting point guard and from there on you know i took off so it's funny your, your career was like you came into phoenix with steve nash and, and i think he was a, a great mentor for you yeah. your career was a little like his start in phoenix i know leave yeah. for texas <laughs> and come back come to back, phoenix again yeah. right yeah exactly i was just talking to somebody about that too um yeah it's it's crazy. I mean, I would never, I always say that I would, I could never get a better place to start my NBA career than alongside Steve. You know, he's, he was a great mentor, a great professional. And, um, you know, I had a great first three years in Phoenix. But then when I got traded, it kind of shocked me a little bit. But um, if I look back now, I think so that trade helped me too in my career because. I established myself, and you know, after that, I signed back with the Suns like Steve, and yeah, yeah. yeah but it's it's a it's a roller coaster, so I can say. Yeah. You, you come in behind Steve Nash, and you both share Bill Duffy as an agent, and so there's a relationship there. But then people want you to be the next something. Are you the next Nash? You're left-handed, and you're a great finisher at the rim, so yeah. you're going to be Manu, right? Because yeah. you're both not from America. You're yeah. from two ends, different ends of the world. He's from Argentina. You're from Slovenia. And, and yet, um, you try to sort of find that identity as a young player. And when you Correct. start moving around, it becomes, yeah. it can become even harder. You can lose your 
it chips away at your confidence if you let it, right? Exactly, yeah, I agree. And that that was my thing when I was uh, with the Suns, you know, everybody's saying, oh, um, Steve Nash, I'm not Steve Nash, you know, he's a completely different player, MVP, I have a different game. And of course, I had to find my own game, my, my own identity. And it's hard, you know, because on every given night, you know, Steve's going to give you double-double, easy. And then when my main thing at that time was when I get into the game, I just need to try to sustain the team play the same as Steve was on the floor. And that was tough. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, especially with the, you know, with the bench, coming from the bench. And, um, and you throw Shaq into the middle of that team. How exactly. are we right? Was, how are we playing, right? It was Yeah, that that was our that year we didn't basically know our identity. You know, Phoenix Suns they were a, a running team and then we check, we kind of slow down a little bit, try right. to play half court and it was it was a weird mix. We didn't know what we are. Yeah. And um, you know, that that first season we didn't make playoffs, so it was was really tough but then the second season we we came back with the that style that we usually play up tempo team and you know we make conference finals against the lakers i, I remember shaq's press conference when he got traded there and with steve kerr and mike d'antoni and it was hard to tell even in the trade i think robert sarver played a big part of that trade he you know he's you know, he's always played a big part in making deals. I think he did the deal with uh, Mickey Harrison. I think they did yeah. the deal at the ownership level in Miami. And I just remember there was just this sense of not everybody was totally bought into the idea of doing this and how you're going to play. And uh, you, you could feel it around the organization right at the beginning. Yeah. And I don't know if it ever left. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, because you have – Phoenix Suns, they had a lot of success before Shaq with that up-tempo game. And, you know, they always have 50, 50 or 60 um, game, winning games mm -hmm. season. So, yeah, and then when Shaq came, you know, of course, I mean, he's the most dominant big guy yep. in the league. You have to change the game. You just have to. And, uh, yeah, that was really tough to find a balance what kind of game you're going to play. And, uh, and unfortunately, it didn't well, well, but, you know, it's part of basketball, I would say. How did he treat rookies in the NBA? <laughs> you know, I, I have to admit, he was great. Uh, you know, he, he did take care of me. Uh, he had a lot of jokes. Uh, he was so funny. Uh, but, yeah, one of those anecdotes, uh, I always had to um, carry his keyboard when we go on away. It's a, a big keyboard. And, you know, from the bus to the plane, from the plane to the hotel. And uh, a few times I, my room was next to his, and, and I never heard him, you know, play on it. <laughs> and on the end of the season, I asked him, hey, Shaq, did you ever play on the keyboard? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, yeah, it, it doesn't work. It's broke. So I had to, I had to carry this keyboard <laughs> the whole season, <laughs> and that was my uh, rookie duties. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that I was a part of that team, and, you know, to get to know Shaq, I mean, he's a character.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you think about the kid who came over from Slovenia and comes into the league, you know, you talk to people, you try to prepare for it. What was it like to be, you know, you weren't a kid, but you were a young man, 21? 20. 20, yeah, right, 2021. How much did you struggle early on just emotionally getting dropped, even having Steve Nash as a leader and being on a team, you know, that was a pretty competitive team? Yeah. I, I did. I, I have to admit, I, I did struggle a lot. You know, different culture, um, different language, um, different game, you know, faster game, more physical game. And, um, you know, at that time I was really skinny. I'm still skinny, but at that time I was even more. And... Uh, yeah, I knew that it's not going to be easy, but, uh, you know, I had to follow my dreams. As a kid, I was dreaming about playing in the NBA, and, you know, that first two years was really tough. Um, I didn't play much. Uh, you know, most of the times I would, I had hard nights, I would cr- cry, and I was already talking with my dad, yeah, this is not for me, I, I think I should go back to Europe, and, uh, you know, I have... I'd struggle. But um, on the other side, like I said, I had Steve Nash. He helped me a lot. He he always gave me advices and tell him, hey, gee, you just need to stay with it, practice, and trust me, you're going to get opportunity. It's not going to be many of those, but you have to take advantage of those when you get it. And, uh, of course, Igor Kokoshko, mm-hmm. he was basically my second dad. Um, you know, he's Serbian. My dad is Serbian, so it's it's a different culture. And... Um, you know, a lot of times I spent in his house watching film and try to get better. And if I, I even said now, nah, if if Eager wasn't would not be there, probably I would not make it. So. Well, think about this. Think of how many players have come from Europe, come from overseas, who didn't have an Igor Kokoskov yeah. here, didn't have a player who spoke, you know, who had that history together, might have spoken a common language. Igor was a trailblazer as a European coach in the NBA. And think of all the guys who yeah. come before you, even after, who'd never never had that, right? Yeah, yeah it's definitely that. I cannot imagine, you know, to... Like, for example, let's, uh, let's take Drajan Petrovic. You know, he was the man in Europe. Um, he was scored 60, 70 points. And then he, when he came to the NBA, um, he didn't have the same role. Um, but everybody knew he can play, you know, and that's tough, you know, when uh, when you don't have somebody there to support you, it's it's, it's a different ball game, I would say. And, uh, you know, for me, like I said, I was lucky to have Igor and basically all, all my teammates, we really have a good group of guys, a veteran guys who know how to give advices to the young kids, you know, to young players. You know, with some teams, you don't have you don't have that. So. Talk about Drazen. He was, I think, for every young player in Europe. I mean, Drazen Petrovic was. He was a Michael Jordan of yeah. Europe for us. You know, he's he was unbelievable. 
um, his passion to work, um, one of the greatest shooters in the game. And, um, and you know, like I said, in Portland, he didn't get a chance. But mm -hmm. then when he went to New Jersey Nets, I mean, you can see what he can do. Yeah. And he was not afraid. You no. know, you look at, at the games when he was talking uh, trash to Michael and to all yeah. other guys. It's something that, you know, he had really high confidence. And, you know, unfortunately... Um, that accident happened, and we never, we never knew from there what what he could achieve. So, talk about European basketball. I'm I'm going to read you a list of names. You tell me what all these guys have in common: Drazen Petrovic, Arvidas Sabonis, Tony Kukoc, Sarunas Marshallanis, Dirk Nowitzki, Pau Gasol, Tony Parker, Goran Dragic. What do they all have in common? All in common. We're all MVPs of the Eurobasket. Oh, tournament. That, <laughs> that's a that's a good list to be on, man. <laughs> that yeah, uh, I mean, you know, 2017 was the year that I'm never gonna forget in my life. And uh, of course, I want to win an NBA championship. That's the goal. Mm. But it's gonna be really tough to surpass the gold medal for my country. You know, that was something that basically that was the first gold medal in team sports, in our history as a country, and it's something that, you know, was huge. Yeah, for people who don't know European basketball as well, give context to what it means for Slovenia to win a Eurobasket championship, yeah. the size of the country, and then those you're competing with, and it was you, you were the leader of that team, you were the MVP, and you had this young 17-year-old yeah. kid that everybody had been talking about, Luka Doncic, yeah. who together at a you know time and a place in history went on a run that like people will remember forever in that tournament. Yeah, if I start at the beginning, it's like, you know, our pool of players is really small. We as a country, we have only 2 million people and it's, uh, it's really tough basically to get all the 12 players, you know, to, to be able to play. And um, I do have to admit, you know, of course, Luca, me, and then Anthony Randolph, he, uh -huh. he was a huge part. I remember I went to Madrid with Rashon Esterovic and, uh, and even talked to Bill Duffy about it, tried to convince Randolph to come and play for our national team. And I think so that was a huge, huge step towards that goal that we have in mind. And um, from there on, you know, we just had that unbelievable chemistry. Um, you know, me and Luca, we always handle the balls. We always make decisions. Um, you know, Igor, he always um, leave one of our guys on the floor and create for others and for or for ourselves. And um, you can see, I mean, to finish a European Championship um, with nine wins, no losses, and basically to win all the best teams on yeah. that tournament, Latvia, Spain, and Serbia, that was something that that um, has been unbelievable. You met Luca when he was like a six, seven-year-old kid, right? Yes. Out on the court Correct. sweeping. You played with his father. Yes. His father, his dad, Sasha, was uh, was basically our team captain when I played for Geoplin Slovan. Um, we played Adriatic League, and I remember uh, every time when we play at home, Luca would be a ball boy, or he would... And uh, he always had a sandwich in his hand or a basketball ball. And, 
you know, every time when it was a timeout or halftime, he would shoot on the hoop. And, he, you know, even at that early age, you can see he got a great touch. And, uh, you know, from there on, we all know the story. He went to Spain when he was 12, 13, and just exploded. And um, it's 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 something that I, I, I even said it after the European Championship that he's going to be the most valuable player in this league. And uh, we can see what he can do. It, it still amazes me. He's he's incredible. You both had in the last three or four nights that same bounce pass. He stole that move from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what's fascinating, he did it with his left. Yeah. With his left and between two guys. I think so was Giannis or somebody else. Basically, it was like a soft blitz. And he did it with his left. And, you know, th- those are those things that not a lot of players have. It's just that... Playing the game, basically, you know, enjoying, and he's always making some crazy move that, you know, I'm just like, oh, how he did it, and he's amazing. Where do you think that the, the creativity that you both play with and the flair, I think it comes from a lot of experimenting, like you're not afraid to try things, you're not yeah. afraid to make mistakes, and then you, you master, but what, was there something that you guys had in common around the game at young ages or, or that, that maybe fostered that in in that part of the world? Um, yeah, you know, as a European players, we try to, you know, we play the game a little bit slower, especially, you know, we're not so athletic. And we try to, especially when I was young and I had a coach, if I do behind the back pass or between the legs, he never told me not to do it. But, you know, you have a few coaches who who are not allowing to do that and it kind of I feel like it kind of takes away your cre- creativity and for me I was always trying to play for the fans and try to make that you know extra play and um I don't know you know it's 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 just the way I I like to play it you know with Luca even when I when we play Europe basketball he was always having fun that's one thing that, you know, even in the clutch moments, he was always smiling. Uh, he never feels the pressure. Never. Uh, it, it's something that amazed me, you know. He never feels the pressure. He always comes there and, like, he's outside with his friends playing pickup game. And that's how he's playing. And that's why I think so he's successful because, you know, he got that confidence that he can do whatever he thinks. You guys are on that run in Eurobasket in 2017. He's a teenager. And you know you're older, and you know this is maybe once in a lifetime for you. This is an opportunity to do something. Who knows if you ever get in it and get a chance to do it again. Did you find yourself feeling that burden, that pressure? You were the leader of the team. You were the NBA All-Star, about to be an All-Star that next year. And, like, you just see this kid who, like, it's just – it's not phasing him. Yeah, yeah. No, but – yeah, I'm, before the European Championship, I said this is my last big tournament for my country. I already said it. I'm going to retire after that. So it did drive me something. And, you know, to see, to have, a, you know, a, a pretty good team with Luca and with Anthony Randolph, uh, we start believing, believing it from training camp that we can win a medal. Uh, we, You know, we never said that we're going to win a gold medal, but we said we're going to win a medal. And that was our objective, a gold. And from there on... You know, each game we grow as a team and, uh, you know, to see a young 17, 18-year-old, 
you know player who is not afraid and let's say for example the game against Latvia um, he played pick and roll and Porzinga switch on him and he just took the ball and said hey spare it out I'm gonna play one-on-one and I was like whoa this is it and he 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 went right at Porzingis scoring him and he gave him that look and I said oh man this kid's gonna be something special and you know with, without Luca we would never win a gold medal because you know me and him we were the the options and we always create for somebody else or for us and um, it was a lot of responsibility on us but in the end of the day we knew that you know the players who we have behind they're gonna follow us and of course we we cannot forget about Igor yeah I mean Igor Igor went undefeated with the national team right Even from qualification the, from the qualifier before qualifying right and on the European championship and you know he's a, such a great coach who knows how to put the players in the right position and 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 thrive so Goran when there's a player coming from Europe no matter what he accomplishes over there no matter what there's just always skepticism yeah. in this country and Luca was maybe the most accomplished European player to come in the NBA in terms of he had turned pro at a very young age he had you're talking about some of the success you know great success in the Spanish uh, yeah. ACB League, yeah. D- did everything. And, you know, if you redrafted now, he'd, you know, uh, probably go number one. I don't know how he wouldn't, right? Like, but what did you – did you get a lot of people, like, whether it was guys on your team, other guys you know in the league going to you, all right, is this guy over high? What's the story with Luka Doncic? You know what? Uh, a lot of players ask me about him, and – Every time they they came back with the topic, ah, oh, he's not athletic enough. You know, he he looks slow and this. But I always try to tell him, yeah, but his IQ, his IQ and how he used his body, and you know, he dribbling and you know, he's always a threat to score or to make a pass. He basically he's making a players better around him, and you cannot teach that. And that's something that um, you know I already see that. And if I ask me, he should go number one even back then. Not right. now, but even back then. But, you know, it's. I think so. that makes him even better player because, you know, when somebody is doubting about uh, about you, you you want to prove him wrong. And, you know, Luca, Luca was really thinking about that and tried to prove people that, you know, he should get, he should go number one. And, you know, I can see, I, I still think he should get voted into the MVP Race, I mean, yeah. MIP, that's kind of yeah. a – he said it right. I mean – I don't think the most how improved you can, player award is meant for him. Bam, your yes, teammate Bam Adebayo, yes. 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 Um, Ingram. Yeah, like, Ingram. Those. Like, that would, to me was just a natural progression yeah. from a tremendous – Exactly. It, he wasn't like – And he was already putting numbers. I yeah. know his numbers are way better now than yeah, last year, you. but they were still huge numbers. And by the way – you're a winner of it. 2014, you won. Yeah, uh, yeah. Most improved player. You know, that Slovenia, that gold medal game, we could talk about Luka, but you had 35 points. I think you averaged almost 23 points in that nine-game tournament. And, yeah, it puts you in a historic place in European basketball. We went through all the guys on that list. The greatest, to me, still one of – I think Grant Hill called it the greatest – I don't know if you call it the great. I think you called it the greatest quarter of basketball he'd ever seen in the playoffs, right? 2010, 
game three against the Spurs, and you scored 26 in the second half. I think you had 23 or your 26 in I, the fourth quarter, and you just yeah. took Tony Parker, who you had played as a young player in Europe, Manu Ginobili, who people wanted to compare you to. Um, I think George Hill was the player they drafted yeah. the night. It's funny. I remember the night of the, your draft, and the Spurs traded. They had the pick, and I think they took George at the he, end of the first round, right? Maybe it was a – you know what? No, George I, came after you. George came no, after Joe, you. No, it was maybe – yeah, that's – I don't remember. I remember, I remember they – Sold the pick to. They traded the pick. Phoenix wanted you. Yeah. They did a deal. They had the pick, and I remember RC Buford. I talked to him later that night, and I said, "What do you know about?" They had traded the pick, and Phoenix selected you. And he goes, "I'm really worried about this one. This guy's this guy's really good. Like we may yeah. regret this one. It wasn't. It was more. I, they had a deal in place already with a pick, and Spurs are doing different things. But that Spurs that quarter, and the Suns had all this." history with the Spurs of falling short. Um, I, I got to believe that was as memorable of a NBA game as you've – maybe your most memorable game in this league? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. One of, you know, that was my second year in the league. Basically, I put my name on, on the map probably with that game. And yeah, I remember that playoff against San Antonio. We had a meeting and, you know, every year they beat the Suns. They eliminated us, and that was something that our mind was Steve Nash, especially he was saying we need to get we we need Steve to get Nash? yeah <laughs> we need to get him, man. and, and uh, we really we opened well. We won first two games, um, I think so at home, yep. and then we went on the third third game in San Antonio, and this was probably the the crucial game. You know, right. you 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 want to win mm -hmm. that game, and yeah, I. I think so. The last possession of the third quarter, I scored a three, and after that, we went. Me and Barbosa, we went on a run in the fourth quarter. And, I think so. And you left your bench in the whole fourth, right? You left yeah, Alvin, Jared Dudley, Jer Lou, um, was Lou, Lou Emerson? Um, I think Jared so. Dudley and who? Who else? Channing Fry. Channing Fry. Channing Fry. Was Boris with you or them? Then? No, no. Boris. Who? Yeah. Uh, Bor no, Boris was with the first unit. First unit. So, yeah. yeah. It was me, LB. Um, Jared Dudley, Channing Fry, and Lou Am Amundsen, I think so. Yeah. And he just no Robin that. Lopez maybe. Robin Lopez. Yes, yes. And yeah, that I don't know. I just at one of those timeouts, Alvin Alvin told me, "Hey kid, shoot the ball. Don't be afraid. Just play free." Then <laughs> from there on, yeah, I make first shot, second, third, and you just you get one of those feelings that you cannot miss and. Um, you know, that game was something special. And, uh, yeah, that year we swiped the Spurs. The fourth game, that was the memorable game, too, because Steve got hit in the eye. Mm -hmm. And his left eye got swallowed up. He couldn't see on his left eye. And he scored, I think, so like last eight clutch points. And we, we swiped them. So, When you think of playing with Nash, Goran, when you think of practicing with him every day, playing with him, what do you appreciate now even maybe more than you did then about him? Just his work ethics. I mean, every every day he had his own routine. He would come early, half an hour early, like practice, and just go with his routine, how he's setting up the pick and roll, you know, way between the, between the paint, um, 
through the mid range, through the tree, and every day was the same ritual, exactly the same. And that was something that I was like, man, you know, he find that he just stick with it and practicing the off foot, like always practicing those yeah. off foot layups. Sometimes when you're on the right side, yeah. you're not going to shoot it with your left. You're going to shoot with your right. And so he was right, always yeah. working on the, the, the balance. Of, yeah. Right. That that was something that basically maybe he was one of the first guys who, you know, who kind of finished like that, no? Especially same leg, same arm. Right. Um, layup from the first step immediately up. And, uh, you know, those uh, mid-range uh, fadeaways with the spin, basically. Mm-hmm. With the spin, he, you know, and he always emphasized on his balance. He was such a great in his balance. He was always under control and... Um, yeah, I mean, that's why he was MVP twice. I mean, two-time MVP. That's it's the be- one of the best point guards uh, who played that game. So, I-, I meant to ask you this earlier, and we were talking about coming over as a European player into the NBA. How different is it now? Do you think, in terms of acceptance, respect, whatever it is, from when you walked into the league to how it might be viewed now by? Yeah. By, by everybody here. I think so it changed. Um, I think so even at that time when I came, it was completely different than, you know, when Draja and Peja Stojakovic, Hidu, Turko, Vlade, Divac, all those guys came. Sabonis, you know, all guys in front of us, they kind of a bad away for us. And But now it's even, now it's basically, I would not say easier, but you know, the, they are more appreciative that we can play the the European basketball. It's it's you know it's it's good good enough that players can play all basically all international players, and um, you can see it's a global game. You have I don't know how many international players is now in the league, but probably have to be right. the highest number. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that's that's the beauty of this sport. Everybody can play, and um, that's how you build a fan base too. So. It's a lot of people who are watching around the world. You mentioned uh, Jimmy earlier, and you you hear a lot of things about Jimmy. Like you compete against him, you hear about things in other places yeah. in the league. He's had moments. When Jimmy walks in the door, does he does he say, "Hey, you've heard this. This is who I am," or does Jimmy just start? Like, does did Jimmy come in and explain anything to the team? No, or he just went to work. No, he just went to work, and that's something like. He, I, I need to say that he's he's one of my favorite teammates, and you know, for me, I even talked to some guys. I said, you know, how that even came out? Like I don't know in the media or the players that Jimmy's a bad guy or this. I don't know. If I'm honest, I really don't know. He wants to win, right? And he needs the right environment. Your environment. Correct. To me, your environment, some places, they do not like confrontation. They don't like confrontation. They exactly, see, yeah. I don't think the Miami environment, the way Spo coaches you guys, the way Pat Riley might talk to guys, the way Dwayne Wade left yeah. uh, led when he was there, Miami's not afraid of confronting each other, right? No. And is that a big part of it? Yes, big part. You, you're right on, on money with that. Watch. It's, it's exactly the, exactly what you said. Spo wants, conf- um, you know, if if you feel something, you need to get off your chest. You need to tell a player in, in, in his face. It's not argument. It's just, you know, you tell him, you accept it, 
and you move on. And that's how you're dealing with those situations. And Jim is one of those players that he's going to call you out. If you're not doing your job, he's going to call you out. And as a professional players, we need that. You know, he's our leader. Everybody knows that there is nothing personal, that he's here to win, we are here to win. And maybe in, you know, other organizations with those young fellas, they couldn't handle that. And I think so they're wrong. You know, everybody needs to be vulnerable and everybody needs to accept a criticism too. Um, if that's criticism is right, of course. And, you know, that's how Jimmy operates. And I love him for that. This, he's open, he's honest, and what he thinks, he's going to set it. If this is good or not, if he's good or not, he's always, he's not changing faces, I would right. say. And this is something that it's really rarely that you see in this league. So it's something special. Last night, you guys play Oklahoma City. Chris Paul's given Duncan Robinson the business, you know, rips the ball away from gets it, yep. you know, it's falling out of bounds, fires it off of Duncan. <laughs> and, like, when that happened, are you going, okay, I think I know what's going to come next here? Did you say, okay, I'm going to watch for something here? No, I already knew it. I already knew it. We, 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 we are coming back to this match, and he was talking something. I was like, uh-oh. I said, Jimmy, come on. <laughs> <laughs> don't get ejected or something <laughs> like, you know like Giannis or something just be cool and uh, yeah that's him you know he's gonna protect his players and you know yeah CP ripped the ball from Duncan um, you know I got a feeling who can pass to his own guy under the basket <laughs> yeah. but he kind of uh, uh, hit Duncan with the ball and you, you can see next play it was basically uh, Jimmy drove and CP rotated from the from the weak side and he saw him and just ran into him so that was uh, basically a warning okay? don't mess with yeah. with my team and uh you know that that's that competitiveness that can that um comes out so i'm curious the environment <laughs> now as you guys get into the playoffs and i was over talking to the night after you played toronto you had that chippy game with toronto yeah. and i was over talking to masai ujiri outside of you know kind of where you guys going for practices and spoke came over and the two of them were like they just were talking about how much they loved how physical it was. They like when they the two teams get together yeah. because they have guys who go at it. But are you curious what it's going to be like in the hotel? All of a sudden you get into a series with somebody and like guys aren't outside fishing together now, yeah. right? And and stuff, you know how playoff series go. Stuff happens. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, the referees are all around here too, which isn't normal. Yeah. Referees don't stay at the team hotels and there's going to be a call in some game or something's going to happen and you're going to be walking by. It's, this environment's going to start changing, isn't yes. it? Yeah, and if we, if we go back to that topic, you know, Jimmy stays in his room and Udonis and, you know, we don't hang out with other players. And that's, you know, that's that winning. We already prepare ourselves for the playoffs because, you know, this is, if, if you win, you stay. If, if you lose, you go home. So, you know, we're not here to hang out or to play cards with them or, or to talk to them. No, <laughs> this is business for us. You know, we want to win a championship and that's how we're going to do, you know. It's normal for us. And even Spo is talking about it. It's, for us, it's uh, Hunger Games. You know, Hunger Games. Who wins? That team going to eat, basically. And then, <laughs> you know, it's, it is yeah. what it is, yeah. Uh, that is great. Goran, you, you got to get out of here, I know. Uh, appreciate you doing this. Playoffs start yep. Monday. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
yeah, it's you know, can't wait. Finally, we're back. Um, it's gonna be interesting series versus Indiana. Yeah. Over there, we have some rivalry with uh, you yeah, know. You've had a few playoff games of those guys. Yeah, so yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. Can't wait. Great, thanks, Gordon. Thank I appreciate you. you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Miami Heat guard Goran Dragic. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to listen to, download the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and Pablo Torre, the host of ESPN Daily Podcast. We'll catch you again soon from the bubble. Take care. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.